We need to roll back this paleo strategy. John spies on all of our posts. Our Facebook groups. Flooded with alt writers. If you want to know who Dave's next guest is, look at who's owning the lid right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of not putting pronouns in the bio. The Figuretarians Podcast. Internet. John Hudak. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Fakertarians Podcast. I'm your host, John Hudak, along with Jeremy Kantorowitz, Brian Hagen, and one of my sock accounts. Uh, today we have on, again, Libertarian Party Vice Presidential nominee Spike Cohen. Spike, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, John. How are you doing? Good. So, first question, when you and Joe take office, which social media app will you be banning first? Oh, man, possibly... Uh... Oh wow! Uh, the first one is see. This is the toughest one. Is picking the first one. Oh yeah. Um. Oh wait, you're gonna ban more. Good. <laughs> yeah. They all need to go. Yeah, Every most of, one yeah, of them. Yeah, mo most of them. I mean, gosh, I just don't have a good answer to that. Uh, <laughs> I think what, you go the, after Vine. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah, I was gonna say either Vine or 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 Friendster. Um, are, Friendster I mean, would be good. I mean, I'm done with Friendster. Can we? Can we? Can we? Yes. I, I mean, the sooner we all just go back to Black Planet, the better. Um, <laughs> am I right? Agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what. Friendster really did was Friendster has brought in just all kinds of just awful people, terrible attitudes. This internet is killing our society. Honestly, Spike, I think you and Joe need to go ahead and just ban the entire internet. I reject modernity in every moment of my life <laughs> Good. Uh, and embrace, embrace tradition. Embrace like dinosaurs. That is tradition. Wow. Dinosaurs, so you, like the Mesopotamian era, is where so, I'm so focused. Are, are you proclaiming that you are now an anarcho primitivist? I'm an anarcho Mesopotamian as Mesopotamianist. Mesopotamianist. Okay. Mesopotamianist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Oh, Brian, go on. Well, I was just going to say, uh, Spike, you, you've been out there on the road for quite a while and everything, like just going from city to city and, and pulling the entire, like, I'm the libertarian vice president rock star routine for a while now. You were in my neck of the woods not too long ago, Wichita, Kansas. I didn't yep. get to see you, but I really appreciate all the great swag that you sent my way. Yeah, I yeah, do yeah. have my, my Waffle House caucus pin Waffle on House. right there. And I do have the bracelet on as well. So thank yeah, you the, for sending all this. The Spike Cohen, which by the way, you can have, I hate to sell merch on your, uh, uh, but here I go. Uh, so uh, right. if you go to the, the uh, if you, uh, this is a Muddied Waters exclusive. And just to be clear, this is not for the campaign. This is a Muddied Waters thing. So I just want to be clear. Uh, but if you, uh, if you PayPal $5 to Muddied Waters of Freedom at Gmail on PayPal, uh, and give us your address, we will send you one of these You Are the Power Spike Cohen bracelets. You can have one today. Give the gift of Spike Cohen today. The kids love it. I, I got to tell you, ever since I started wearing it, I started feeling a, a, an odd sense of power. Um, of the power, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a lot like that miracle spring water that uh, Peter Popov sells on TV. It's a lot like that. You know, you just send your charitable contribution and suddenly you have brand new powers and stuff. So Spike, so, so thank you. You're well and you're welcome, of course. And you may not remember this, but there was another guy named Leroy Jenkins. And yes, that was his name. Uh Pastor Leroy Jenkins, who was selling uh water, uh holy water 
and it turned out the well was poisoned uh, that he was um, that he was pumping it from. And he said, well, I never said to drink it, um, even though, I mean, it was literally in like a bottle like this. Um, oh, it came in like God. a Le blue water bottle, but it just had like Leroy Jenkins holy water on it and uh, turned out very, very bad for you. <laughs> what what would you do okay say okay you win and everything mm-hmm. is there anything from a libertarian perspective that could be done about all of those ridiculous let's put a coffee shop in our uh, church sort of thing i mean uh, can we just like bulldoze them down i mean it's not really free market they're they're shysters so can we just kill dozer them all <laughs> probably not so i think so yeah, I mean, here, here's the here's the thing with that. You know, I think if they're selling, put it this way, if they're selling uh, water from a carcinogenic uh, well that had been abandoned decades prior because of leaching of heavy metals, that's an actionable thing. The coffee shop itself, not so much. It sounds like more of a local issue. By the way, that's become my response to people when they ask me something that I don't have a solid answer for. As I say, <laughs> that sounds like a lo- local issue. I was actually in Huntington Beach, California, and a lady came up um, and she uh, called, for, first of all, she called me Dr. Cohen, which right <laughs> off the bat, I thought, uh-oh. And then she uh, she said that I was speaking with the only living person that was in the Bible. Uh, and the proof she had of that was that a woman had drawn her her, her picture twice, had, had drawn her in a, in a, in a painting, twice um which somehow had had to do with the bible and then and then she she went on started talking about how her husband and uh estranged family members were working with the illuminati and satan um to um i don't remember what but it wasn't good and uh and she asked me what dr jorgensen and i were going to do about that and i said well I mean, and she went on for like a solid 10 minutes and we all were very kind and just stared right at her um, and did not laugh. <laughs> and I said, well, ma'am, this, I am, this does, this sounds, I certainly would love to hear more about it later. Uh, but this does not sound like a federal issue. Uh, this sounds like more of a, of a, Satan tends to be more of a local issue. And, um, and, and so whatever I said, she liked it because she said, thank you so much for getting in touch with the FBI and putting an end to this. And I said, <laughs> you're welcome. And um, so that is my answer to you now is I will definitely have the FBI look into that. God damn, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Get behind me on a local level. Local level. <laughs> on a local level, of course. Okay, so... On a more serious note, <laughs> let's move over a little bit. So you've received some credit. You've received some criticism, and not from us, but from others, on your statements about Black Lives Matter and the ongoing protests. There mm-hmm. was one Libertarian Party member who accused you of overtly supporting our enemies, and some comedian has said that he isn't sure if he'd want to see you get on Joe Rogan's show because you might say one of those left-wingy things that you're known to say. What are your thoughts on Black Lives Matter and what's your response to any of that criticism? So it's interesting because I am about as far to the right as it gets, uh, at least in terms of economic policy. I am a very outspoken 
uh, anarcho-capitalist from the Austrian school of economic thought. Um, and am, I believe the only outspoken Austrian ANCAP to ever be in at this high of a position in terms of a political ticket, I think ever, maybe I'm forgetting someone, but I, I certainly within our era. Um, so I, it, it is interesting when I empathize with the concern of people who have desire to hold police accountable and, 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 and bring things like policing and, and first response to the community level that I'm accused of being a left winger. Um, I, there are many different aspects to this. And I think also there's some confirmation bias that happens. So for example, when I will, uh, when I will, uh, speak out against the people that are doing rioting and looting and, and, and burning down, uh, people's homes and businesses and, and, you know, say that that is unacceptable and that, you know, uh, that we need to end the war on guns so that citizens can protect themselves against people that would try to destroy their, their livelihood and their lives and, and their property. Um, that isn't mentioned by the people who have decided that I'm a bad person. Um, and then when I will say something else that's bad, they'll go, yeah, but why do you never talk about the rioting, looting, pillaging, whatever? So there, there is, you know, anytime we get into our little, um, into our social media circles or into our social circles, uh, there tends to be sometimes a bit of an insular thing that happens there where we kind of feed our confirmation bias. And I think that might be an aspect to it. Um, I think that some people are concerned. Uh, I've had a lot of people that say, I like all of your policies. I'm concerned with your messaging. And usually it's because I've said something that they don't like the way I've said it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think that if I'm able to reach people um, who we can find common ground with. So in this example, Black Lives Matter protesters. I have been to a few Black Lives Matter protests. I have spoken with organizers, both in person and online. At no point have any of them expressed a desire to spread Marxism uh, or to smash uh, private property or to hang landlords or any of the edgy things that they're accused of. There are definitely Marxists in Black Lives Matter, uh, just like there are definitely alt-writers uh, in the libertarian movement or in the boogaloo movement or whatever, but I'm not going to besmirch an entire movement and the message, the rallying cry behind that movement because of a, because of the bad actors that are in it. Um, and in the same token, when I have gone out and spoken with Black Lives Matter protesters and organizers, and all I am hearing from them is that we want to address police accountability. We want to address uh, the uh, situation that is leading to us not being able to thrive economically in our in our communities, uh, which usually they end up talking about things like occupational licensing and zoning, um, and uh, and and when they are increasingly talking about their right to keep and bear arms, um, I think that it would be foolish of me uh, to say to them, well you have not explicitly told me that you uh, sign on to the non, non-aggression principle or that you, uh, you know, that you believe that uh, private property rights are inherent to a, a crucial libertarians, you know, any, any proper libertarian or, or proper social order. Uh, so we can't discuss this any further um, any more than I would do that when I'm talking with gun rights protesters or lockdown protesters or disaffected Republicans that are angry that they're never going to, that, that Republicans are never going to give them this uh, small government that they're told they're going to get or, or disaffected uh, centrists who are just sick and tired of the, 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 the back and back and back and forth rope-a-dope and the, 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 
the terrible political discourse in this country. Um, if we are to go from a party that got 3.25% uh, to a party that in this election or a future one gets the 35% give or take that we would need to actually win, uh, 35% or more that we would need to actually win the electoral college one day, uh, or even in this election. That means we have to more, we have to get at least 10 times, if not more, the number of people voting for us and joining our party and joining our movement. And, and that doesn't happen by having purity tests in place uh, or by messaging solely to people who are already receptive to our brand of messaging that we use in-house. Um, and it's certainly not going to come from, and it's also not going to come from just reaching one side of the uh, authoritarian political spectrum, only reaching out to the right or only reaching out to the left or only reaching out to centrists or, or, or anything like that. Uh, we need to not leave any chips on the table. We need to reach people where they are. We need to empathize with their concerns, validate that their concerns are legitimate, and then take them on the journey uh, for how we can, uh, how we, how libertarianism, how human liberty, how our ideas uh, are the way to do that. Um, it's what I've done every day of this bus tour of the bus tour that I just finished. It's how I've done uh, what Joe and I are doing on the campaign trail. And uh, the 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 reason why we say things at times that a right winger might like more than a left winger, or say things at times that a left winger might like more than a right winger, uh, even though we're ultimately bringing it back to the exact same policies and platform is because that's how politics works by reaching people where they are in their spaces and using their nomenclature and then bringing them into what you want the conversation to be about. That doesn't happen by uh, you know quietly disapproving of the way that they're doing things, especially not when we are one of these smaller political movements. Yeah, I can't disagree yeah. with anything you said there. <laughs> no, that was absolutely beautiful, Spike. And that's, that's what I like is I like your messaging. I like everything. Um, I just wanted to put down the meth pipe for a few minutes so I could come on tonight and have a little bit of time with you, you know, as that one comedian said. And, and speaking of that one comedian, I want to invite him once again to come on the show anytime he wants. And he can do any talent except for comedy because we know that's not really his talent. But when he comes on, I would like for him to address why he said I'm a meth user. And I would also like him, after that conversation's completed, to show his talents, Dave Smith. That invitation's open to you anytime, buddy. I wondered if you got my questions about, oh, the address answered the other day. I don't think you did. But anyway, Spike, I love you, man. And I'm going to go ahead and jump off of here. And I want to say good night, everybody. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. It was great seeing you again. Okay. So moving on. Do you think it's important that we as libertarians oppose racism? I think that it is important that we demonstrate how when our policies are in place, racism goes from being an, an actionable thing that can harm people to just being some schmuck with a stupid opinion. Um, and I think that, yeah, that is, that's not just opposing racism by saying racism is bad. I like, I don't care who it offends. I am against racism and Nazism and slavery and the Holocaust. Um, this isn't about being stunning or brave. This is about actually opposing what ra how racism and other malignant forms of collectivism harm people every single day. 
um, you know, when people asked about the whole active anti-racism thing, Ron Paul said back in, I, I need to remember when it was, this was like 10 plus years ago. Uh, yeah, he was 2008-ish. So, yeah, 2008. It was, it was one of the times he was running for president. Yeah. So I don't remember if it was 08 or 2012, but it was several years ago. And he was asked about allegations that he was racist. And he basically said, uh, I can't be a racist. I'm a libertarian. Uh, racism is just another malignant form of collectivism. And as a libertarian, I have to oppose all forms of collectivism. In other words, libertarianism is actively anti-racist. That's just another way of saying that. The objection that I've heard from people who say, well, I don't like racism and I see myself as anti-racist. But the problem is that the left has taken the term anti-racism to mean a bunch of things that I don't support, a bunch of left-wing Marxist policies that I don't support. Okay. They've also done that with capitalism. They've done that with, and the right has done this with all sorts of terms. Um, I am not going to shy away from using terms uh, and allow people who have uh, bad authoritarian ends to define terms. Uh, that is a great way to have a diminishing number of things you can even say uh, and and be able to, to use in the popular vernacular. You are ceding the territory on cultural grounds, on the cultural battlefield, if you will, of ideas. You are ceding every bit of ground to them by saying, oh, okay, yeah, anti-racism means being a leftist. That's essentially what you're doing. When you allow the entire conversation to mean you aren't anti-racist, you aren't against racism unless you support these things, and we shrug our our shoulders and go, guess so, I guess that's the case, then we're basically helping make their case for them. If instead we say active anti-racism means taking dismantling the bad racist policies, the bad big government policies that have led to these harmful outcomes for almost all of us, but especially the most marginalized among us. Now we've actually taken control of that narrative. I was on a conservative radio show in Salt Lake City and someone said, uh, I heard that you think systemic racism is real. Uh, do you? And if so, what is it? And I said, I do believe systemic racism is real. I believe that gun control is racist. Uh, I believe that minimum wage laws are racist. I believe that these the, the, the roots behind uh, behind these these policies, these these regulatory policies that have you know done huge damage to small businesses have racist origins to them, uh, which is why there has been disproportionate disproportionate harm against those communities that they were intended to be used against. And the answer to the way that we end systemic racism is to get rid of big government light bulb moment for this conservative <laughs> radio host who loves saying how racist the Demo big government Democrats are. He went, yeah, okay, I can get behind that. Eureka. <laughs> Eureka. Yeah, it's perfect. So what was it like being Trump's running mate in Michigan on a few ballots for a it little while? It was terrible. It was a living nightmare. <laughs> uh, it was the worst 110 minutes of my life. I was having a existential crisis by the moment. Uh, I, I questioned a lot of things, uh, including just the basic framework of reality. Um, it was really terrible. Uh, I had people, and this part's actually true. I had people reaching out to me saying, I would literally vote for Trump if I would consider voting for Trump if you were his running mate. And I thought this is the exact opposite of what I wanted. <laughs> um, and, and so I, 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 I jokingly initially said, you know, Better get me off that ballot. I'd hate to improve Trump's chance. It turned out at least, especially because those were military ballots. Mm. And Joe and I are doing really, really well among the military. And 
there were military people going, you know what? I would actually not have a problem with Trump winning <laughs> if it meant you were Joe or the, his running mate. And I thought, oh, no, uh, better fix this. So when he uh, tweeted, you know, uh, you know, the, the Trump hater in Michigan uh, illegally did this and it's terrible that, you know, I'm not running with Mike Pence. And I said, look, pal, I'm, I'm not a fan of this either. OK, like, no, none of us <laughs> like this. This was not a thing that any of us liked. <laughs> Other than that, it was fine. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, there were some ballots misprinted that had Spike listed as Trump's VP. As Trump's running mate. Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, it was, And it was, I mean, it was, it, it made more of a spl splash on media than any electoral difference. It was 400 uh, PD. So basically what it was, uh, some military members can download a PDF that they can print out and, and then mail in. Um, mm -hmm. And that in Michigan, the military members, the PDF that they had, was wrong until someone pointed it out that it was wrong. And so it got downloaded, I think like 400 times. And they've told the people that, uh, they can just, uh, cause you're only allowed to print one out. Uh, they said, if you printed that one out, you can come back and print another one out. Or if you use that one and you vote for Joe Jorgensen, it's still going to count as Joe Jorgensen. It, but here's the problem. If you vote for Trump and spike, you're voting for Trump. Um, so yeah, so, but it was 400 ballots. It's not yeah. going to, it's not going to sway anything one way or another, but, uh, uh, it was, um, possibly the worst part of this campaign so far. <laughs> plus, plus it enables, you know, it, it, it helps enable this, you know, this narrative you Trump's trying to build around, you know, around voter fraud and, you know, the, that those seeds that he's been planting, that's like really like one more thing that, you know, is completely insignificant and, still not voter fraud because it's not voter fraud it, it was it was a and, stupid and it was a stupid mistake right. that was already fixed and and everything is right. everything is fine and if anything again it will gain him votes yeah right if nothing it, it might actually gain him votes so i'm as i'm as mad as anyone is about it. <laughs> spike cohen hater in the michigan in the michigan secretary of state's office did that to us <laughs> Okay, so you also caught some flack from some circles for your post opposing violence against trans people. Um, can you explain some of your thoughts on that? So there were two. There were two aspects to that. Yeah. Uh, one was just, oh my gosh, you mentioned trans people. How dare you? You know, and and there's and there are just people that are upset about that. There were some legitimate concerns about the methodology. Uh, in retrospect, some of that was fair. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to address the people that are like, oh, how dare you, um, you know, uh, acknowledge that, you know, trans people matter or whatever, but, but the people who had legitimate concerns, I do want to address that. So here, here was the problem with the methodology methodology behind, uh, the assertion that was made in that post. Um, it is true that there has been an increase in, uh, documented, uh, violence against, uh, trans people. Uh, there has, uh, and specifically murders, um, during that same time, there's been a not quite as high, but still an increase of just murders uh, across the board during that two or three year period. Uh, then the other part of that is that we've also seen that in the last two or three or four years, whenever that, that period is, an increasing number of police departments are correctly labeling the gender of trans people instead of misgendering them based on what was on their birth certificate or in a lot of states, you know, they were, there was, they weren't 
able to, uh, uh, you know, more more uh, effectively be able to change their gender on their documents. So even if they were transgender, if their documentation, if their license still said, you know, uh, male and they were not, they were trans female, uh, or or vice versa, you know, uh, uh, trans they were it said female and they're now a trans male. In the past, they would have been recorded as just a murder victim, as opposed to now they're being recorded as a trans, as a transgender murder victim. So that could uh, uh, attribute to some of the increase as well. Um, and um, in the same way that we don't want to assume that every single person who is uh, uh, black or every single person who is, you know, male or female is killed because they are black or killed because they are female. We can't assume that every single trans person that has been killed was killed because they were trans. Certainly many of them have been killed because they were trans, but all of those things combined, if there has been an actual increase in the number of trans people being killed, it probably does not rise to the level of it being a war against trans people as it was kind of described in that in in in, in that post that that I put out. Um, so in retrospect, my methodology uh, could have used a little bit more timing. In my defense, I was also actively campaigning in Virginia at the time, and so I and and, and I fall on the sword. It was it was my mistake to to pronounce it the same that way that I did, um, and so I, I I do you know I fall on the sword in that regard. Uh, but in in terms, so it, you know, it wasn't this. Uh, uh, so, so that w there was legitimate concern there. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I hold myself accountable for that in terms of the, just, but there were some folks that were just like, you know, oh, well, uh, I'm not even going to repeat it. Just really ugly things about trans people mm -hmm. that there, that's not even worth really, um, addressing, but there was a legitimate concern from some about the methodology and, and they were correct. That was, that was a, a rare misstep in myth methodology on my point. Oh, that's fair enough. Um, are you willing to play Despacito from your phone to get the Latino vote? No, but only because you're going to get a freaking copyright strike. <laughs> I, I, we, so we played the clip on our show last night yeah. of Joe Biden doing the stupid Despacito thing, okay? And we yep. got a copyright strike for it. And I'm like, this That's is bullshit. a news story about a politician strike him why are you striking us strike him um like we're not we're not playing it was like you know it's like a 10 second clip of despacito but now meanwhile it makes sense uh that that would be a song he'd like um because it does talk about like holding people close and sniffing them and stuff like that so it, it does it, it, it is appropriate that like because he likes slowly sniffing people um so that's kind of right up his alley um also the look on his face <laughs> when he's yeah. doing it i can't I describe agree. it but it haunts me and i it haunts my dreams this like <laughs> i can't even i it's the i can't it's like i first noticed it when we played it on the show and i'm looking and i'm like i don't even want to acknowledge it because it makes me so uncomfortable he's a really creepy guy and uh it's like he alternates between not fully there and creepy and i don't like i mean either of those lanes is not the best but man pick one please because holy crap um i'm glad you're going with that instead of vouching for him on msnbc yeah no those days are those days are, are over i'm definitely uh, i'm definitely not doing that 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 was what i would say to people they say you know how are you going to be an improvement uh from previous vps said, well for one thing i'm not going to endorse one of our op opponents on on major media uh so i got that going for me um but so anyway uh uh yeah no despacito uh it's it's funny because um 
I'm actually, my wife and I are actually like avid Latin dancers. And so we have a lot of friends like in the Latin dance community and they're, and it, many of them are Latin, but I mean, they're kind of all across all different races, creeds, colors, ages, and everything else. It's a very vibrant community. And I've had a lot of people reach out that are like, are you going to start putting out, you know, you know, more videos of you dancing to try to get the Latino vote? And I'm like, not after freaking Despacito gate. Cause now it just looks like I'm like, Hey guys, me too. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I won't be doing that, but also I don't want you to get the, the D- DMCA strike on you. <laughs> Makes sense. Honestly, that, that video kind of convinced me we're living in a simulation. I have not, I have not been the same since. He literally came out and played <laughs> like, so also Despacito is like, I'm trying to come up with like an Anglo version like it, it was a popular song. It was also like four or five years ago now, or three or four years ago, and it it's now become kind of like you know a stereotypical like I like Latin music too. And then you start playing Despacito, like it, it's like that kind of thing. And so when he did it, I'm like, you schmuck. This is like it was just I was like it's kind of you know it's kind of perfect. Um, uh, you know, uh, Kamala Harris is out here wearing uh, uh, Timberlands. And, uh, and, and, you know, he's out playing Despacito and that somehow erases uh, the massive amounts of harm they've done to communities of color over the past, uh, well, K- Kamala for the past decade or so and Joe for the past 50 years. It just amazes me how tone deaf they are. It's like simultaneously we have people that are upset about sexual harassment and sexual assault and we have people upset about, you know, police abuse and the Democratic Party goes with these people as their picks because they can because they can't there's two reasons one because they can because you see the media is covering up for them everything they can and all of the all of the you know and this is where black lives matter differentiates itself from some of the other professional groups uh that have been you know uh, promoting themselves as you know racial equality and civil rights groups all those other groups have lined up 100 behind joe and, and and kamala whereas most of the black lives matter people are like no no thank you no i'm good with it we might even vote for them but nah, i'm certainly not promoting them and we're not we're not fans and possibly probably not even going to vote for them um so i you got to give respect where it's due there as well um but when it comes to uh the here's the other reason why they have to be the bad guy hypocrite for half the country just like the republicans have to be the bad guy hypocrite for half the country because that's how you keep people voting two party is you have mm-hmm. to be the bad you have to be the good cop for your side and you have to be the bad cop for the other person's side. So you have to antagonize the other side uh, and you have to be a hypocrite uh, to the, you have to demonstrate your hypocrisy in a, in an open way uh, that, that your side will cover for so that the other side can go, look at those terrible hypocrites. We're going to vote for our side. And then the other side goes, look at those terrible hypocrites. We got to vote for our side. Well, they're all hypocrites. When we are able to get in front of people, it makes our jobs easier because we're like, yeah, no, they're both terrible. They're terrible. They're hypocrites. Uh, they've caused all these problems, and it's time to stop voting for them. Our problem, obviously, is just getting being able to get in front of people and not get shut out from the conversation. Yeah, and if anything, this is the year for libertarians to appeal to the masses of like disaffected people that are upset with the status quo. This is our time to shine, and this is the time for the party to unite behind, in my opinion, the most principled ticket we've had in recent memory. I believe that we are, and no no insult to uh, the ones who ran during this time, I think we are the most doctrinaire libertarian ticket since 
uh, uh, Brown Jorgensen. Honestly, like I, I think that that would that would be the last time. Uh, uh, and and again, that's not an insult to Gary or or, or Bad Nurik. Uh, uh, Bob Barr was also in there, uh, but uh, 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 <laughs> see what you did there. Yeah, uh, but uh, I I don't you know I, I, Bar Root that was different. But um, anyway, um, uh, but you know I I think that we are the most um, you know if you are a libertarian who has been saying why can't we just run like really principled libertarians here we are and, and we are doing it and and yes we are going to try to message to everyone and to try to not leave any any chips on the on the on the on the on the table because we can't afford to uh and and i also we are not in a position to be able to look at much larger movements than our own and go well they're not messaging exactly how i would like them to so i'm certainly not going to reach out to them that is the reason to reach them i do not want this movement for police accountability uh, and for and for fixing massive disparities uh, that are that are existing between uh, you know different communities uh, to go to to be to be ceded to authoritarians like wh why would I do that you know people go well you know Absolutely. a lot of them are going to vote Democrat okay and a lot of the gun rights people are going to vote Republican should I ignore them like we're not going to do that and yes there are many of these black lives matter folks uh who believe in things that we don't agree with okay and there are a lot of those gun rights protesters and lockdown protesters who believe in things we don't agree with we still need to reach them and if we continue to allow much larger movements to co-opt them while we sit there and go well they don't agree with the private property rights and the nap then we're just ensuring that we remain a small and largely ineffectual movement and by extension and a, a small and ineffectual party yeah, we forget that none of us started as libertarians. That's we the other thing. Yeah. yeah, we all had to come from somewhere. It took us be, becoming exposed to the ideas, philosophy of libertarianism. And we can't just expect people to immediately understand that and decide, oh, we're just going to write them off completely because they don't get it right away. We have to work with them. We have to address what, what matters to them. We need to talk to them about their concerns and treat them like human beings and not like these collective stereotypes we've assigned to them. Well, and, and in doing that, we often find what we agree on. Um, and that's even within the libertarian movement. I mean, I, I have seen good, constructive, agree to disagree type dialogues between people on the far right of the libertarian spectrum and the far left of the libertarian spectrum, where they often, when they talk to each other in good faith, they realize that often a lot of their disagreements are in how they uh, in their actual labels and messaging, and when they get down to the core of what it is they really want, most of what they want is the same. They they are some things that they have differences of opinion on, but also, especially once we're able to pull the coercion out of it and just make it, you know, a, a libertarian discussion. Now we're just talking about differences in preference, and no one here is smart enough. Uh, no one on this planet is smart enough, or 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 or, or uh, well reasoned enough to come up with a system of organizing a society voluntarily that seven and a half billion people are all going to want to do exactly that way. Um, and so we have to have some grace to the fact that there are going to be people that want to organize their societies uh, differently. Even if we were able to snap our fingers and make government go away entirely, um, people are still going to want to do things a little differently in, in different aspects, how they consider uh, property to be justly acquired, how sticky they think the, uh, you know, the, 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 the claim to a property uh, uh, should be and, that, and, and, and many other issues. And that's okay. In the same token, when we're reaching out to people that aren't even in that 
thought process at all. Uh, they're still, you know, deciding whether uh, they think Obamacare is fine or whether we should go straight to Medicare for all. Us waiting for them to read Rothbard or to read Kropotkin, for that matter, is not going to happen. They're not going to do it. They're not going to read anything. They're going to continue to listen to Republicans and Democrats. And if they're like most voters, they're going to, every election cycle, hold their nose and vote for whichever side seemed the least toxic that time around. And uh, we, we all go ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay. I was saying, we, we so often forget that most people have not been exposed to the paradigm shift that libertarians are so used to operating exactly. in. Like, yeah. the, the whole equation of coercion is not something that most Republicans or Democrats, left or right, consider. We offer something that's completely different yep. than that. Yep. And voluntarism, I think, you know, the ethical argument, at deep down, most people can get that. And they can understand that and agree with that. And I always find that when I'm approaching people with that first, they really seem to start to understand the rest of it. Yep. The idea of, of people being able to voluntarily decide how their life goes, uh, and especially like when I do my phrasing, when I especially when I talk about economic issues, anything related to the cost of living, healthcare, housing, food, um, uh, uh, wage laws, um, student loan debt and higher education costs, all of this stuff. Basically what they're saying, if you break down to the core of what they're saying is, holy crap, everything's getting expensive. Uh, the money I'm making is not going up. Uh, I am able to afford less and less, and I'm really worried about what's going to happen to me, uh, especially in the midst of a pandemic uh, where I, you know, if I get sick and end up in a hospital, it could ruin me financially for a decade uh, or longer. And right now, for a lot of those folks, the only people appealing to them are a group of people who helped to make that situation bad in the first place who are saying, you know, this system is rigged against you and it's not fair. We're going to tax all those people that rigged the system against you. And we're going to give you what you need because it's a human right. And then we show up and go, that's not a human right. Rights are negative and you can't, uh, you can't have a right without taking from that takes relies on someone else's uh, labor. I guess you believe in slavery, huh? Ha, I won this argument. And then we walk off and we're certain we just won something. What we won is an enemy. Someone who is worried about how their life is going to go, who votes, and who now hates you uh, and anything that you are about by extension. If instead we heard what they said, which is, I'm worried about how my life is going and something needs to change, which we agree with. And instead of having to have this argument with them, we're like, yeah, the healthcare system's a mess. Yeah, higher education's a mess. Here's why it's a mess. Who's here's who made it a mess, and here's how we can fix it. And then understand that they're not going to go. Oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense. I I totally get you now. We spend more time listening, and we also give people the grace of understanding that just like before, we knew our ideas. Our ideas sometimes sound insane because they're so far out of the uh you know the overdim window or the flashcard of allowable opinion whatever you want to call it it's so far outside of that that it sounds kind of nuts even though it makes intuitive sense they just haven't heard it before so you could really just spend a lot of time listening to them which a allows you to hear what their concerns are so that you can message to them better and b allows them to have the catharsis of telling you telling you about their issues which also whether they like it or not is causing them to subconsciously bond with you so that when you start talking they already like you more these are just basic things that I learned in the 20 years of running a business and that any of us learn in, in you know, if we're good at reaching out to people and, and, and marketing and networking, you listen to people, you get them in on your side, and then you can take them on the journey. You cannot show up 
you can't just present the most logical argument ever that is bulletproof and throw it in their face and go, these are the facts that don't care about your feelings. Read it and weep statist bootlicker and then they go and then they go and they go oh my god that argument is the most logical thing i've ever seen i am now a libertarian i couldn't even rebut a bit of it that's not how people work it's not how you work and it's certainly not how they work yeah. so you're telling them it absolutely show some empathy for your fellow yeah, human beings. that would help yeah yeah Sorry, so you're telling ahead, me we shouldn't just call them sjw cock soy boys I mean, I didn't say not to. I just said, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, if that's your thing, some people might like that. Like some people, like if they, li- if, 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 if when you're listening to them, they say they like being insulted, then, then, you know, throw that at them. It might work. Um, but no, I, I no, it's, it, it, remember when you were, I, I remember when I was a neocon and me I too. would talk with folks and they would call me, uh, you know, uh, lick that boot harder and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, screw you. You just want the Islamo-fascist to win or whatever. They made it harder. They actually made it so that I held on to my ideas longer because eventually I realized that the reason I was so angry was because they were right and I was wrong. And I had a much bigger pill to swallow uh, than if I had... Uh, if they had reached me, you know, in a more, uh, uh, you know, more empathetic way. And the reason I was even listening to anything anyone was saying was because of the ones who were reaching me in the more engaging and, and empathetic way. You reach people where they are. And if, if someone, if they're the majority of people who want a giant wall on the border, they don't want that wall on the border because they hate brown people. They want that wall on the border because they're worried about losing their job or they're worried about MS-13 coming and, and they're worried about crime and they're worried about all the stuff that they've been told by their preferred media that they consume is going to happen if that freaking wall doesn't go up and protect us from the hordes of the people that are going to come here and ruin our way of life. And, the, and, and they don't have the historical background to understand that this is what happens every single generation, that whatever group is coming in, that they are demonized as the people that are going to come in and ruin everything. Uh, They're seeing it in the moment right now with blinders on because they don't have the time to look into it because they're busy trying to live their lives because the cost of living is going through the roof and they, 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 you know, their taxes are going up, their cost of living is going up, their wages aren't going up. If they live in the, in the, in, if they're in agriculture or in manufacturing, government is actively destroying their ability to even make a living in the first place. And now here you are showing up going, well, you know, if these people that just got here are already better than you at your job, then maybe that's a problem you have, loser. This is not how you talk to people. It doesn't work. Listen to what they're saying. If anything is confusing to you, ask them what they mean by it. If they go, I want a wall because I want to be protected, go, cool. What does protection mean to you? Like, what do you think you're being protected from? This makes them feel like you actually care about them, which you should if you're involved in politics. That's the other thing. If you don't care about people, maybe just don't do this because it's going to show eventually. <laughs> yeah, sociopaths, you're, you're, get out. Yeah, sociopaths, BTFO, okay? You're uh, telling Congress the, to resign? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> I said, are you telling Congress to resign? Yes, 100%, <laughs> uh, except for Justin Amash. Um, but so, uh, uh, and maybe uh, Ilhan Omar. Um, but so, you know, you, you've got, you know, when you are reaching people, um, let them let them tell you what their concerns are because what you're eventually going to hear is i'm worried about this and i hope that we can fix it and here's how i've been told that we'll fix it and the way that you reach that the way you reach them is to be able to demonstrate that you care about what their actual concern is that you understand how we got here 
and then you can take them on that journey. But first, you have to show them that you even care about them in the first place. There's that old um, that old marketing term: uh, no one cares what you know unless they know that you know that you care. That that applies here as well. Interesting. So I should oh. fire the troll farm that I hired to comment on every local news page that just replies taxation is theft to every. No, that part's perfect. <laughs> um, um, no, here's it. And I would even modify that because I talk about taxation being theft and extortion and stuff like that. But I relate it back to what their concern is. If someone says I'm worried about, you know, healthcare, I'm worried about uh, cost of higher education. I'm worried about whatever. And you go, yeah, but, you know, taxation is theft. They go, all right, well, I'm being robbed. So I'm we're just robbing them back. Or they go, I don't care. I don't want to die. Uh, or I don't want to end up homeless. So if I, because you can say that and then someone else goes, yeah, but if you, if you rob uh, someone for a loaf of bread, then that's okay. And now you're going, yeah, but according to the not, non aggression principle, you should never do that in a free market, in a real free market. You don't even know what a free market is. If you think this one is, you're a moron. And in a real free market, everyone would have bread, duh. Like that's, you're not <laughs> reaching anyone this way. This doesn't work. It wouldn't have worked for you and it's not going to work for them. If instead you go, you know, when, when, when someone starts talking about these things, you talk about that issue. And if they go, why can't we just tax the wealthy to pay for this stuff? Then you can talk about how all taxes on the wealthy and corporations are just passed along to you, the consumer, which means you're paying for it anyway. And how all uh, taxation is not just theft, but it's regressive theft. It's theft against those who have the least to give in the form of government spending to those with the most, that it is all a, a basically a power and money grab uh, it, that is uh, 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 couched as looking into, uh, uh, you know, couched as being, uh, you know, for you when the, when the reality is it's, it's against you. And that intuitively makes sense to people because something isn't lining up between what they're being told and what they're experiencing. So when you're able to go in there and be like, yeah, they're telling you that this is how it works. But if you really think about it, it's actually working against you. That's when that light bulb moment goes. They're like, oh, that's why everything sucks. Even though I keep being told that, you know, they're going to make things better for me. It's not just that they're lying to me about what they're doing. It's that their actual policies are a lie. Um, but you can't do that by just like throwing out inside baseball catchphrases. And I say that as someone that literally has, where is it? I have my taxation is theft hat. I love the, <laughs> it is, it is. I love the thing. I love saying it. I love when people come up to my stuff, uh, my events, and they're like, hey, I just have a simple question. And I know what they're going to say. And they're like, what is taxation? And I'm like, well, thank you for that change up that I'm about to knock out of the park. <laughs> taxation <laughs> is actually extortion. And the crowd goes wild. But that's for us. That's an us thing. That's yeah, not right. That's not going to help outside of our movement. Is the words taxation is theft is actually what set me on my journey to volunteerism. But it was because... I heard it from Ron Paul, and Ron Paul explained why it was, yep. it was that. And it wasn't just Logan. He came up with the, the reasoning behind it. And I'm like, oh, I see that. And I just kept digging. And eventually, six months later, as they say, anarchist. Ron Paul often has made uh, populist arguments that are framed within, or, or he's made libertarian arguments that are framed within a populist message. Perfect example of that. Uh, foreign aid. He has the best quote about foreign aid. Foreign aid is when our government robs poor people here to give to rich people over there. Boom. It's true. It can't be disputed. It, it leads into the whole like 
you know, the 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 little guy versus the big guy thing, which is the the basis of any effective kind of marketing in, in, in politics, and rightfully so, because that is what we are experiencing, and people inherently understand that. He nailed it. And in 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 a in a way that can almost fit on a bumper sticker. Um he didn't go in and go, we don't owe these foreigners anything. You know, maybe they should ask a charity to do it. Hey, did you know that Americans give more in charity than other people do? Schmuck. Like, so, and it's good to know those things. But if you lead off by saying, no, it's all a sham and here's how it's actually harming you and here's how it's not making anything better over there, it demolishes their argument before you get into a whole larger conversation about whether we should even be helping people uh, with tax dollars in the first place. Because the worst argument you can make is helping people with tax dollars is bad. Leading off with that, you can eventually un create a framework of explaining why that is, but that doesn't connect with people. Because when people hear taxation, they don't think about themselves being taxed. Because tax day to the average person is the day that they get money back. Mm -hmm. It's not connecting with them. They do not care. They don't care about the debt. They don't care about government spending. They don't care about taxes. They care about the things that they want to see happening in the world happening, including in their own lives. And you have to connect with them on that first. And then you can explain how taxation and government spending and debt spending and the Federal Reserve and central planning and, and uh, you know bad monetary policy and everything else is what led to those bad things happening and how deregulating and, and giving the power back to people will fix it. But you have to lead with what they're actual concern is the average American doesn't give a crap about taxes. There was a recent NPR poll that came out and they asked them what their what their biggest issues were. Number one was the economy, which is perfect for us because right now when they're saying the economy, they're talking about this repressed economy because of the lockdowns. The next yeah. number two thing was coronavirus, which is perfect for us because the coronavirus is as bad as it is here because of just terrible federal policy that was largely centered around not allowing medical professionals to test COVID patients for the first two months that the virus was here. And then the third thing was... Uh, uh, was climate change, which is perfect because we can message on how uh, federal regulations encourage large polluters to do damage to the to the environment while punishing small businesses. Uh, and then all the way at the end at like 2% was government spending and taxes. No one cares but us about that. You have to show them why that matters. So speaking of libertarian philosophy, do you have like a favorite libertarian philosopher or influencer author or anything like that? Oh man. Oh gosh. Uh, the problem is there's bits of each thing that I like. Yeah, I get that. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, and this is why, and I, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent. I'm seeing the people that are becoming starry eyed about me and I'm like, Oh no, I don't want that. Like, that's not what this, this is about. The libertarianism and the message and the message and people are like spike oh and i'm like no 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 <laughs> message 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 the movement the, the, the politics the, the actual message behind what i'm saying like not it's not me um because i'm not a big fan of like I, I think we often because of the nature of how we are when we hold up a specific person uh like ron paul or murray rothbard or or, or some people do with Marx or ronald reagan for that matter anyone whatever Sam. we often we start falling into this like uh, yes, Sam, we start falling into this thing of like feeling like we need to defend stuff and go, yeah, but if you look at it, as opposed to like focusing on the things that they did or said that were correct and when they said or did something that was incorrect. So that just sort of, I'm sort of like a, a, a not a respecter of persons as much as a respecter of ideas. Um, but I mean, I mean, von Mises, Rothbard, Kropotkin, 
Uh, I guess if I had to pick one, it would be Spooner. Uh, and I think the reason for that is because Spooner, like he was saying incredibly radical stuff at a time when you get thrown in jail for that kind of stuff. You mm -hmm. get you get executed for treason for that kind of stuff. I mean, he was saying some pretty it's pretty blatant stuff there in a time when that was not cool to do. Uh, it was not you get canceled on social media. It was you get canceled uh, in your your heart beating um, uh, <laughs> by government as a as a traitor. Um, and I mean, he was saying stuff like, I mean, in the, in the, in the post, you know, it, it, I, I can't even come up with a comparison in the post revolutionary era when they were still, people were still privately rounding up suspected Tory sympathizers and, and killing them. Uh, he was out here going, this constitution thing is BS. And you know, uh, uh, what? Cause they signed a sheet of paper. Uh, I should have to like, I mean, you know, what we do as edgelords every day, he was doing like, <laughs> On, with a quill on on parchment and then sending it out to his friends like um so the original shit poster seriously like <laughs> ser like serious edgy 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 team there um he uh so I, I i guess if i had to pick one then spooner um um uh yeah i guess if i had to uh yeah spooner's no treason is the two uh um books when i'm asked you know what books would you recommend i say if i have to pick two books uh, it's Bastiat's The Law, uh, which pretty much kind of details um, if we are to have a government that can be considered legitimate and having the consent of the governed, what would it have to look like? And Bastiat's The Law is a, is a pretty easy read that sort of details that. Then on the other end, I give Spooner. Uh, which is like just a reminder that you know government authority is illusory and that it's 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 all just a reality of power and the documentation is the pretext that pretext that they use, um, which is important to do because if you're a libertarian you you have to understand to whatever extent we can use documents uh, to help push our message of liberty we should but they are not the end all be all and we should not be surprised when the people who claim to respect them show no respect for them whatsoever when it befits them, uh, behooves them, because it, it, it is all about people with power using power to entrench and get more power um, and, and, and for it to center on that. So um, so I guess Spooner, if I had to pick one. That's a good one. Spooner. I do have a kind of change in directions. Um, sure. Just given recent events, you know, oh, any... God. Um, any predictions um surrounding like supreme court um you know kind of the future of the supreme court um and then like if, if you were president and you know the situation we find ourselves in what would what would you do what would your considerations be so in general so what do i think is going to happen i think uh um i think Trump and cocaine Mitch are about to shove uh, someone down the American people's throats. If for no other reason than they don't have time not to, and uh, and a lot of Republicans would never forgive Trump or the or the uh, uh, a lot of the most hardcore Trump support uh, Trump voters and Republican and Trump activists would not forgive them if they did not shove a a pick down down everyone's throats in the next six weeks. Um, so it's definitely happening. They've already said it's happening. It's it's happening. I think it's going to be that Amy uh, Comey uh, Barrett uh, yeah, uh, uh, justice. Uh, and I think, uh, and we see this every time, um, when uh, conservatives, uh, when Republicans and Democrats put up their picks, their uh, internal media uh, tends to, uh, or their, their you know, uh, I guess their their partisan media prompts them, props them up as this, you know, hero for their side. And then they get into office and they're, they're, they're shades of difference between each other. Um, 
you know, uh, oh God, a perfect example of that was um, Kavanaugh, who, yeah. I mean, he was basically, he, he vote Merrick Garland, who the Republicans fought tooth and nail uh, for Obama not to put in, uh, in, in to replace Scalia. Uh, Ju- Justice Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, his record, his voting record was like 98% similar to, uh, to Merrick Garland. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was, it was, it's a, a, it was like a contribute. It's like nothing, zero, very little daylight between them. Uh, I think Amy Comey Barrett, she doesn't have basically what they lean on is that she, uh, is, you know, at least in her words, she's very pro-life and she is uh, Catholic and has a lot of children. So they are making a lot of assumptions about her that they maybe shouldn't make. Um, and, uh, um, so I, I, I think they'll, I think that's who they're going to pick. Uh, or, or some other, they're going to pick some other Republicrat from the Federalist Society pool who will go in and be essentially the same as the rest of them. <laughs> um, uh, uh, in terms of what I would do or what, what, what Joe would do in that situation, I would defer to Joe on exactly who she would pick. Um, but we would be looking to someone who uh, defers to the originalist intent of the Constitution. And if there is any kind of uh, discrepancy in terms of which way to go on something, even after applying that, erring on the side of maximizing human liberty, um, is is that th- that's kind of the threshold? What was the original constitutional intent uh, uh, behind not just the law that you're looking at, but the 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 constitutional law before that? Um, and I would want someone who does not think that uh, case law, including bad case law, uh, is somehow more important than the Constitution. Uh, if previous bad case law trumps the Constitution, then Dred Scott would still be the law of the land. Um, so I think it needs to go back to the actual uh, uh, const- the actual uh, you know um, Constitution and the Federalist Paper interpretation of the Constitution, with the idea being that if there is still any kind of ambiguity there, erring on whatever side maximizes uh, maximizes human individual human liberty. Solid answer. Um, so what are your thoughts on the current direction of the Libertarian Party? I'm kind of curious. It's kind of an open-ended question, but... I think that that remains to be seen. I, I well, Let me say this. Here are the good things. We are growing in numbers. We are as diverse across the Libertarian political spectrum as we've been in quite some time. Uh, our candidates, and I obviously cannot be objective in stating this because I am one of them, but our our ticket, as objectively as it can be said, um, is is as strictly libertarian as we have presented in quite some time. We have eschewed the idea that we should be running, um, you know, someone because they have already run office as a libertarian, as a Republican. Uh, or Democrat for that matter, you know, as a major party candidate, or as I call it, using the cheat codes. Uh, I believe if Joe Jorgensen had wanted to run for office as a Republican, she would have been able to get elected as a Republican because Republicans and Democrats often get elected. And if she then, uh, uh, if she had then, you know, gone that route and then one day said, you know what, actually, I'm going to run as a libertarian now. And we all go, oh, yay. Uh, finally, we're getting some uh, credibility here because a Republican is running with us. We're sending a massive message to everyone who's paying attention that not being a libertarian is legitimacy. We are saying that to the public. 
we are saying that to anyone who is would be in that case foolish enough to try to work their way up in the party apparatus and demonstrate their value to eventually run. We are saying that to the everyday activists who are out there saying, you know, we need to stop voting duopoly and republicrat. We need to start voting for something new. And then we put forward the opposite of that. Um, and, you know, we didn't do that this time. Uh, we put forward a, uh, a, a two, you know, pretty very principled libertarian candidates um, who have been doing our best to, to, to reach everyone with that message. Um, I think that that's a good thing. I think that um, I think that we are beginning to realize that the most important thing is putting the message forward in a way that engages with people. That we don't have to try to um, demonstrate electability. Uh, because electability means that people will vote for you and people vote for people that they think care about them, who are bold, who are fearless, uh, and who demonstrate that they will say the thing, whatever it is, say the truth, uh, uh, you know, without fear of, of who it might offend. Um, and, and, and that electability comes from that. Electability is not an aesthetic uh, electability is is a a is is the ability to connect with people and get them to vote for you. That is electability. Um, I, I think that we are continuing to get more wins every election cycle, uh, and we continue to get a bigger uh, share of the vote every election cycle. Um, I think we are having growing pains that happen as a result of that across the board. Um, and I think that uh, as we bring in more and more people, a lot of them will have not very libertarian ideas. We need to respect that, you know, not everyone's going to be 100% libertarian, but we also need to make a point of, of disabusing them of those notions and, and, and allowing the greater libertarian culture to affect them that, you know, that we aren't here because just because we're mad that the Republicans, you know, wouldn't cut taxes. We're not just here because we're mad that the Democrats wouldn't pass serious, you know, police accountability legislation. We're, we're not just here because, you know, we got sick of voting Democrat and Republican and, and getting nothing in return. We are here because we believe in a in a, uh, a, a philosophy and an ethos that is built around the idea of individual human liberty uh, and that aggression is bad, not just from a moral standpoint, but that aggressing upon people and trying to force them into arrangements doesn't work. Central planning doesn't work and that our way does work. Um, and I think that that's what we're doing. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be 100 percent perfect. Um, and I think we, uh, we can learn from that when we talk about our ideal societies, remembering that people are going to always disagree on things and that we need to allow for grace and empathy to have any hope of having anything, uh, successful either in this party or a post-state society or anything else. It, it requires grace and empathy and, uh, and allowing space for differences of opinion. Fair enough. Jeremy, do you have anything else you'd like to ask? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I think we covered at least everything that, that I had. Uh, um, there is I, that one long one from, from Jordan. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we can hit Jordan that for him. with us tonight, but, uh, but he did have a, a question, which is sure. a little bit of a doozy. Okay. How do, um, how do we want to handle this one? Oh, I, 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 I'm just okay. going to read well, it word for word. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go for it. So um, the Scientific American wrote an absolutely blistering takedown of why Donald Trump should not be president based on him rejecting scientific evidence, refusing to deal with information, and willfully lying to the public about it. This has resulted in both mass casualties and economic devastation. They endorsed Biden on the grounds that he is objectively better than Trump on scientific issues. This is an apolitical entity in theory. 
endorsing a political candidate, not because of any one policy, any one policy of his, but because they view the current administration as an objective existential threat that would lead to miserably worse outcomes than their chosen candidate, who they see as most likely the best way to be rid of Trump. As the candidate put forward for the LP, you are also alternatives to Trump-Pence ticket. How Mm -hmm. would you effectively tell people that voting for the LP ticket is a better option than voting for Biden, given that Trump has convinced the experts across every field into believing that voting for Biden is their best and possibly only option from saving people from the certain disaster that would be continued Trump rule? So basically, how would you uh, how'd you get inside? No, no, no. Yeah, no, I I, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the thing. Let's let's dispel the notion that bad things didn't happen before Trump or disastrously bad things didn't happen before Trump or that they wouldn't have happened if Hillary Clinton had gotten elected. If Hillary Clinton had gotten elected, the CDC, CDC still would have stopped medical professionals from testing COVID patients. Whatever difference there may have been in her rhetoric on that issue, the reality is the actual thing that led this virus to spread out of control would have still happened. It would have still happened. Just as importantly, Donald Trump, the pay w- the way was paved for Donald Trump because of Republicans and Democrats and the so-called neoliberal social order and the, all of the things that came from that allowed for someone to use incredibly shocking populist rhetoric, uh, right-wing protectionist, what was called know-nothing rhetoric back in the in the in the the, the turn of the 20th century, uh, which at that time led to disastrous trade policies that ultimately, in conjunction with the Federal Reserve monetary policy, led to global uh, depression and then global followed by global war. Uh, all of that comes, you cannot look at this at, at Trump as some kind of isolated insulin in a I- incident in a vacuum. Trump is the logical conclusion of the Republicans and their total control of every lever of power of government for the last 160 plus years. If Donald Trump is replaced by Joe Biden, all of the bad things that are happening under Trump and worsened under Trump will continue to happen under Biden and worsen under Biden. And then Biden will eventually be replaced by whatever Republican replaces him who will continue to make things bad and make things worse because it is how it works. They have to consistently make things worse and do it as this sort of left, right, you know, game of ping pong where you go, Oh, the left screwed it up. I'm voting for the right. Oh, the right screwed it up. I'm voting for the left. They have to play off of each other and play good cop to their respective base and bad cop to their other respective base to the, to the other side's respective base so that you can feel like, well, I don't really like Biden, but he's so much better than Trump. And these people go, uh, I don't really like Trump, but he's so much better than Biden, even though they work together every single day, both in terms of policy and in terms of setting the narrative. Uh, we, and, 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 and a shorter way of saying this is that it is too important to continue throwing our vote away for the people who created this problem. What we are experiencing right now and every bad policy that comes from it, if we are willing to admit that everything wasn't fine until January of 2017, every bad policy has Joe Biden's signature or support uh, or endorsement or promotion or sometimes his help writing uh, or his help overseeing its enforcement during the eight years he was in the White House. 
all of them, including some of the most egregious policies like the endless wars overseas, the Patriot Act, the endless spying programs, uh, the 1994 crime bill, which led to more uh, people of color being locked up at any time in American history, including during slavery. All of these things have Joe Biden's signature and his uh, imprimatur on it. Um, he is every bit as much of the problem as Donald Trump is. Uh, and uh, it, it, to say that he... Joe, and if we're talking science, Joe Biden has no greater an understanding of science than Donald Trump is. It is an issue of rhetoric. And the rhetoric feeds into that narrative. We're the pro-science side. Those idiots over there don't even believe in science. Those idiots over there think we should listen to these freaking eggheads who keep getting stuff wrong. We know what it is. We've got horse sense over here. It is left-right, rope-a-dope, narrative theater politics at its worst. And it has to end. It will keep getting worse until we stop voting for the people who created these problems and made them worse. As I say every time, this election is too important to vote throw our vote away for Republicans. Okay. I like it. Anything else we'd like to wrap up with, or are we are we good to go, guys? I've got one big important thing. Okay. So I have been trying to organize via Fakertarians a bottom unity panel. I want to solve the bottom unity problem once and forever. It is currently titled "The Gang Solves Bottom Unity." Okay. I uh, I sent you an invite to it. I talked to Caitlin about it. I think she talked to you. I'm planning to try to get a wide swath of libsocks and anarcho-capitalist agorist voluntarists together. And we're going to try to put our differences aside and come to a solution based on voluntarism and decide to live and let live with each other. And then from there, we could start working up and uh, just get this bottom unity finally going for once. Do you have any thoughts on that? Would you like to be a part of it? I, I would be happy to be a part of it. Obviously, during the campaign, I'd have to be limited to what I can do while campaigning. Um, but moving forward, it is what I want to do. It, it is 100% part of what my goals are. Um, I didn't get the Mises Party and the, the Mises Caucus and Radical Caucus endorsement and get so much support among audacious and prag people because I told them different things. I kept saying the same thing to all, all of them. And, and, you know, and, and it wasn't because I'm some you know, magic wordsmith. It was just because I listened to them. And demonstrated that I understood where they were coming from and what and and tried to show that we had common goals. I would absolutely love to be a part of any good faith effort to bring in a, a wide swath of people, not just on the left and the right, but the whole thing. Bring in constitutionalists, bring in prags, bring in, you know, moderates, bring in the people who think that, you know, that we made a major misstep by not, you know, asking Gary if he'd run a third time. Bring in everyone. Like bring in and yes, also bring in the far leftists and 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 the far right. I'm yes, we need to do that. We need to bring in people who understand that this party is the best vehicle to try to affect change and then go from there because we already have that going for us. We already understand that. And now we can talk about what our differences are, what we agree on and and try our and, and the only thing I would add to that is that when we start getting into disagreements on terms, I hope that a huge effort is made in saying, let's really break down what the terms we are using mean when we talk about property, when we talk about free markets, when we talk about um, uh, capitalism or socialism, when we talk about statism, when we talk about these loaded uh, and, and sometimes emotionally fraught terms, 
what do we mean when we say that? Um, so yeah, no, short answer is yeah, I would, I'd be happy to be a part of that. And I absolutely plan having those things addressed. And Perfect. obviously this, this will probably end up happening after the election. I know you're very busy up until then. Mm -hmm. So we'll try to work and get the schedule. Let's in the do time it. That works I love it, but man. Yeah, that's, that's I what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I'm, I'm trying to, um, I just did a, 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 a session with the, uh, I was on with the transhumanist party for two hours where they literally, I thought it was going to be a debate because they had their, uh, their presidential and vice presidential candidate on there. And I'm like, okay. And then I realized it wasn't a debate. We were just talking about what we agree on. And we got into it a little bit on, on guns uh, for like five minutes, but really even that wasn't a debate. They just were like asking me questions and were kind of horrified at my answers. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, but, the, uh, but, but it went really well. And, and I, I, I went away from that saying, hey, listen, guys, like let's keep having this conversation because we have a common enemy here, which is ballot access, you know, representation, a, a, a system that is set up to shut out, you know, uh, and marginalize third party voices. Let's be friends on that. Um, and, and we found like in that two hour conversation, we found, we agreed on like 80% of stuff. Uh, and, and a lot of people there were shocked because they didn't realize that. Um, and, uh, I, I'd say that probably the one thing that we really walked away, like, okay, we'll agree to disagree was the guns thing. And honestly, I think it was because we just didn't have enough time to really delve into it. But the bottom line is I want to, our common enemy is not people who disagree with us but have legitimate concerns. Our common enemy are the very powerful, cynical people who probably agree with us on stuff but want to be the ones in charge controlling everyone. They recognize oh, that we're right about stuff. They're using it for harm. Uh, my my enemy is not someone who disagrees with me on terms and, 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 and maybe thinks that a, a certain policy might work better than another. Um, so I would be very happy to do that and, and be a part of that to whatever extent I can. Great. Well, thanks, Spike, for coming on again. I know you're a busy man. And uh, we're, we all still support you and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, guys. And I appreciate having uh, being on your show. And uh, folks, stay tuned. I have some upcoming dates coming uh, on the 22nd, which is Tuesday. I'm going to be in Sioux Falls, South Dakota with the bus, reuniting with the bus. Uh, on the 23rd, I'll be in Fargo, North Dakota. On the 24th, I will be in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, on the 25th, I will be with Joe Jorgensen in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, on the, yeah, yeah. Come uh, see you. Yeah, Joe, Joe is, uh, I'm going to be handing the bus off to, to Joe and she'll be doing uh, uh, a couple weeks on the, on the, on, on the bus for, for her, one of her legs of the tour. Uh, but we'll be, uh, we were able to make it work where we're, we're in the same spot. So I will be uh, given a little short speech and then she'll be given, she's obviously the headliner there. And, uh, and uh, I'll be helping uh, get the crowd hype for, for Joe. And then on the 26th, I will be in Manhattan, New York. Uh, on the 27th, I will be in beautiful, Providence, Rhode Island. And then on the 28th, it started, it's starting to get uh, hazy after that. Um, but uh, but uh, stay tuned on my social media, on my Facebook page. Those events will be coming out as uh, as more information develops. And uh, uh, I would uh, I would love to love to see y'all. Love to have you come out. Love to answer any questions you have. Uh, follow me on social media. Follow me on Facebook, uh, Spike Cohen. Follow me on Twitter, at Real Spike Cohen. Uh, my YouTube Go to youtube.com slash literally Spike Cohen. And uh, you can, uh, if, if you're one of the folks who you get asked, well, what do libertarians think about this? And you either don't have a good answer or don't feel comfortable answering, or that's just not your bag. 
go to my channel. I probably have at least one video where I talk about it and you can shoot that off to them. Uh, it, it has become a compendium of how to talk to people without having to do it. You can just copy paste my answers. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you like what you heard today, go to Joe, go Joe20JO20.com uh, and, uh, and visit our uh, visit our website and uh, we'd love to have you join. If you're able to make a contribution, that would be great as well. I do, in fact, not have dementia as far as I can tell, uh, but I am having a hard time with the date. What is it on the 28th? <laughs> I think Boston. So pretty much rounding out the end of the um, pretty much rounding out the end of the month, I'll be like in, in and around New England and New York um, as a rule of thumb, except on the third when I'll be in Durham, North Carolina. And then you know, on the fourth, I'll be back in New York. Just check out my social media. I'm all over the place. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Later. Bye.